Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Jew3 Project. I am the guest host for today, Malik Blade, and I'll be speaking with the founder of the Jew3 Project, Ms. Lisa Fields. How are you doing today? I'm good. You sitting on my side today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the reins, but we're going to be looking to hear from you about some things so you really get a chance to go in more than you normally can. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to be talking about uh, the recent album from Jay-Z, 444, which has social media buzzing, the whole world buzzing. Maybe I'm pretty sure it's not just the United States. Everybody's talking about this recent Jay-Z album, 444. And specifically, there's a song called Legacy that we're going to be talking about, which kind of brings up themes of hypocrisy and things of that nature, which is uh, going to be helpful in our discussion. And it's going to be the bulk of our discussion. But we're going to use that as a launching pad. So Lisa, pretty much tell the audience why you wanted to zoom in on this particular song. Um, well, I like uh, Jay-Z. Um, I'm not <laughs> Illuminati conspiracy. <laughs> I'm not an Illuminati conspiracy theorist. I, I though I did. Okay. I've seen those videos with. Uh, I can't think of his name. I just think Craig or something like that. X Ministries. I remember oh, it. G Craig Lewis. G Craig Lewis. Yes, I've seen the the videos with the triangles and all that stuff. Yeah. I watched it. I've seen it. It's scary. Um, some scary stuff. But uh, I try not to get into all the Illuminati propaganda. Uh, hopefully it's not propaganda. I mean, hopefully it's, well, how should I say it? Hopefully, mm-hmm. well, never mind. I won't say it because then somebody will email me. You will like, yourself. Tuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't subscribe to it. Um, but anyway, the first episode we did, if you follow Jude 3, was on Jay-Z. And we talked about the son, the song he did um, lost one where he talks about his nephew that died in the car he purchased. And he said, he basically asked the question, why do bad things happen like this? He felt like his nephew had a lot of potential and the car he purchased him was the car he died in and he blamed himself. And he kind of had that question for God. So we played into that at the Odyssey. Um, and so I thought it would be cool to come back and talk about Jay-Z in 444 because he really, this song, when I was listening to it, and it was the last song on the album, and I got to that verse, and I was like, hmm, this is interesting. And I just thought it was his interaction with telling why he kind of um, passed on Christianity and the issues he had with it and how he's trying to have a spiritual journey now where he's looking at different religions. So I was like, this is a perfect song for the G3 project. And that's why I want to talk about it. Got you. Got you. Okay. So we'll start with the the couple bars from the song that stood out and specifically we'll see what he's getting at. But because this is a Christian podcast, I'm going to call this section of his song a pericope, a pericope from the book of Jay-Z. <laughs> so, <laughs> And because I'm not a rapper, I'm, I'm going to work in my gifting. I'm just going to read it, and then y'all can listen to the song and hear him rap it. But the words are, you see my father, son of a preacher man, whose daughter couldn't escape the reach of the preacher's hand. That charge of energy set all the Carters back. It took all these years to get to zero, in fact. I hated religion because here was this Christian. He was preaching Sundays versus how he was living Monday. Someday I forgive him because strangely our division led to multiple religions. I studied Muslim, Buddhist, and Christians 
and I was running from him. He was giving me wisdom, see how the universe works. It takes my hurt and help me find more of myself. It's a gift and a curse. So what about that made you want to zoom in on that? Pericope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because he talks about, you know, the fact that his grandfather was a pastor and his grandfather was uh, either uh, molesting, raping or um, or beating his his um, his aunt. And he talked about, you know, the disconnect between what he preached on Sunday and how he lived on Monday. And that's for me when I talk to millennials, when I talk to people who have kind of thrown church to the back burner. One of the major issues is not necessarily a logical philosophical issue or even a theological um, tension. It's more so the behaviors of people who claim to be Christians. And that hypocrisy becomes the reason why they say, you know, I don't want Jesus. Uh, I don't want Christianity. They throw the baby out with the bathwater. And Jay-Z is, I think, articulating the cry of many um, people, millennials especially, who have left church. And um, I, that's why I think that that particular, uh, as you say, pericope uh, or, or bars resonated with me because I hear it so much. And I think um, many people can identify with that. I've spoken to people who have listened to the song, listened to the album, and that part resonated with them because they've been people who left the church. And they were like, man, he's he's basically articulating what I'm what I'm feeling. They might not have had a grandfather that molested um, their aunt, but they've had other situations where they've experienced that made them say, you know what, I don't have I don't like the church. They're, they're a bunch of hypocrites. So to kind of rein it in, do you see a difference or can you explain the difference between someone just having flaws versus them actually being a hypocrite? So I, I define hypocrisy as not the, it's not the absence of sin. It's the absence of honesty. Mm-hmm. And when we're not honest about um, our failures, when, if we're pretending to be perfect, that is that's hypocrisy because nobody's perfect. We're all dealing with something. And when people see us living a life that's opposite of what the perception we're portraying, then that's where the hypocrisy is birthed. That's where people's frustration is because they're like, you're telling me to be something that you, you're not. Um, it's, it's presenting an unattainable goal in essence because we shouldn't be displaying perfection we should be pointing people to the perfect one and displaying progression. Right. And I get that. But at the same time, I've even wrestled with this. It's just that when you look at, cause like he's bringing attention to a pastor or someone who was preaching. So we can't let, and obviously scripture wouldn't allow us to just let church and specifically our elders or preachers, it just be a free for all. So everybody's free to do and say whatever. There has to be some type of standard and scripture does point to some specific standards for uh, pastors and elders. So what would you say is the barometer for which we gauge when someone has gone too far? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's something that is situational. Um, I think that's why a board of elders or some kind of accountability is important and people who know the lives of those who are leading to say, okay, this is too far for this person, for this situation. 
you know, uh, because I think you would have to be up close to make that that um, that judgment call. I don't think that you could be away from the person and not know the person to make that call. I think it's going to be situational. And I think the board of elders, whatever guides or people that you place in those accountability spheres are going to be able to make those calls. And I think depending on what church you go to or what denominational affiliation or network, you've, you've probably agreed to certain standards of behavior. And if you fall below those, then those are things that the board can hold you accountable to and then dismiss you. But before you signed up, in, in some cases, you already know what puts you out. Uh, but in a lot of cases, there's no ruling authority, especially in a lot of autonomous churches where there's no, if you're not connected to a network, if you're not connected to um, a denomination, you kind of have free reign. So it's kind of hard for people to kind of sit you down. Immediately what I think about, and hopefully we don't get in trouble for bringing up, bringing this up, but hey, you let me in. <laughs> but <laughs> immediately I think of the show, The Preachers of L.A. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even sure if it's still on, but I remember a lot of times what would happen is some crazy stuff would be happening on the show. And I remember Dietrich Haddon was explaining that what I'm doing is I'm showing how, how my life is. I'm being real. Um, I'm not perfect, although I preach. The issue is historically we've robbed pastors and preachers of their humanity so he was doing a service by showing his flaws and that's a good thing is how he explained it so when we look into this obviously we don't want to present this idea which i think a lot of the world thinks this that christians or even pastors are perfect many mm -hmm. think that that's how we, we function under that assumption that's not the case at all but what's the balance between showing that you're imperfect and being honest about your imperfections versus boasting and sin. Mm -hmm. uh, I think about, as you were talking, I think about the president of the United States and not the necessarily 45, but <laughs> just the presidency as a whole. Mm -hmm. When you become president, there's a certain standard you uphold. Yeah. The, the quote unquote realness of you, uh, has to quote unquote take a back seat to because the of office. Yeah. Uh, and people hold the president accountable. We are upset, many are upset because we have a president that seems not to uphold the standard of presidency uh, because the position is held to a higher standard. People say all the time, you can't tweet like me because you're the president. You can't do this like me because you're the you're not allowed to do those things because you're held to the higher standard. And so when James tells us, let not many be teachers because they will receive a greater condemnation, it shows us that preachers and Christian leaders are held to a higher standard. Many people I've seen want the position without the standard. And that's problematic. And so if you want the authority over people, you have to understand that there's a certain lifestyle you must carry because you're leading. And I think we've lost that. I think people want the ability to do whatever they want and still lead and um, have their cake and eat it too. Absolutely. So did I answer your question? Yes, you did. Thank you. <laughs> so when we look at 
the reality that uh, people make mistakes and pastors are going to make mistakes. So we can't just dismiss them or remove them from their position when they make a mistake because those are going to happen. But obviously there has to be a level to which once again, someone has gone too far. There are situations where people will fire a pastor or sit him down for a period of time. So how do we gauge, I guess, that that balance between, okay, this was a, a mistake and we can restore and continue forward versus we need to sit you down for a period of time. And I say that because specifically, I think of Dr. Carl Ellis, who when speaking about Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he would point to the fact that those that critique him need to be mindful of both epistemology and ethics, what you think, what you believe, and what you do. So when, we, when we're looking at pastors, which matters more when it comes to deciding whether or not someone needs to be removed? Um, what they, are you saying what they preach and what they, as far as doctrine and practice? Right, what they're preaching, right. What they're preaching doctrinally from the pulpit versus how they live their lives personally. I think I, I steal this from Pastor H.B. Charles. He, he says, um, and I, it wasn't in reference to this, but I think it's it's a, a point that applies here, or illustration that applies here. He says that what's what on a on a plane, which wing is more important, the left one or the right one? And I think when we're talking about the issue of orthodoxy and orthopraxy, you need both because without one, the plane is going down. Yeah. And so um, I don't think it's a uh, I don't think there's you got to be Orthodoxy is important, but if you don't have orthopraxy, it doesn't matter. Or if you got orthopraxy, but don't have orthodoxy, you're okay. I think you need both. It's a both and. And without either, something is, the plane is going to go down. Got it. So in that case, both matter and both are going to contribute to whether you can gauge whether someone's a, I would say a good pastor or not. So mm -hmm. what is being preached also has to be lived out. But if you're a really good person in the community and you're preaching heresy, then there's a problem. <laughs> it, it matters. What you preach is going to, what you believe is going to affect what you live. Um, and that's just a reflection. What you believe, it comes out in your actions. And that's just, we could see that through, through scripture, we could just see that in day-to-day -day life. Um, if I believe just on a basic premise, if I believe the stove is hot, stove is hot and I touch it, maybe I didn't really believe it was hot, you know, mm -hmm. or maybe I just have a problem and want to get burnt. But <laughs> what you believe is going to affect the way you live. It's going to affect what you, what you avoid, uh, what you entertain. Um, and I think we need both in this culture and we could see one of the, when we talk about apologetics and one of the things that's causing people not to, um, to kind of jettison Christianity, we can look at people in um, African-Americans saying, look at white evangelicalism and look at how they treated African-Americans, look at how they, um, they thought, uh, acted as if we were less than. Um, they systemically have held us back. They participated in, in slavery and all those things and use scripture to oppress us makes people turn away. But also what makes 
millennials turn away is leadership and not only leadership, but people in the pews in, in our black churches that don't live what they preach. So you're telling me not to have sex, but you're having sex. You're telling me not to commit adultery, but you're committing adultery. You're telling me not to watch porn, but you watch porn. Telling me not to lie, but you lie. And those things, it's like, they people want to see an example. People want to see the gospel lived out because the gospel lived out gives people hope for change. And I think we, we must remember that. So it seems like you're also pointing to the fact that personal holiness, of course, is for God and for you. But it seems like we might not have an understanding of just how important personal holiness is for those that follow you. Mm-hmm. Because we're saying, I, I would anticipate with how, you know, when we look at Illuminati, uh, if we're going back to that, <laughs> and we look at the, uh, what's his name? What did you say? G. Craig? G. Craig Lewis. G. Craig Lewis. And how he was pointing to uh, Five Percenters and New York rap um, back in the day. And you would think that, I would think that Jay-Z's issue probably would be, this is just me assuming just based off things that people have said that he probably was on this Christianity is the white man's religion. That's why he didn't believe, you know, that's, that would be my first assumption because I've heard people say, well, he's a five percenter, you know, I've heard different things about his beliefs. So I, I just always assumed it was on some, well, he might not believe because he believes Christianity is white man's religion. But you see this man who's been exposed to a number of different things, has millions upon millions of dollars on his way to being a billionaire, and it still sees Christianity through the hypocrisy of his grandfather. Um, and I think, you know, we should, be, we should kind of think through that um, because there are some people who will say, be quick to point out hypocrisy in white man's religion and which should be called out. I, you know, I call it out, I, you know, but will excuse their own personal sin um, and say, you know, don't worry about what I do. Well, if that's the case, what about what these other people are doing? How can I hold them accountable and not hold myself accountable? How can I call them out and not call myself out? And I think that's the double standard that we must fight. I want to get practical for a second. So immediately I think of the fact that Jay-Z is pointing to what a man, i.e. representative for Christianity did as his basis for why he's discounting or, or not accepting uh, faith in Christ or not believing. So obviously we know we, were, we would say that you can't look to a man for perfection to then validate Christianity because no man was perfect except Jesus. So if you're going to look to a man, look to Jesus. So we know that and we understand that all men are imperfect, but we also recognize that what Christians do matter as far as how it affects our witness. So in a practical sense, because I know people listening may want to go back and try to correct areas wherever they can, or maybe repent of certain things as they're thinking through what they did and how that reflects Christ. Even if it was earlier in my walk, I wasn't as mature and I was doing this and now I've come to maturity and I recognize I need to make amends. More specifically, a practical example of that, I think, is like when a man used to be a, you know, a playboy and has manipulated multiple women, then he comes to maturity in Christ and feels the need to go back to apologize for treating them incorrectly, things like that. So 
if you could just list out a few things that we as Christians may have uh, may need to go back and address because of historically we have not presented Christ or represented Christ well in that area. What are some things that we can go back and recognize that we haven't hit a hundred at? Yeah, and I, I think that's a good point you bring out in the practical piece because that some people could take away from this and say, well, you're telling me I got to be perfect. I still preach no lying, but I might lie sometimes. I'm still preach this, but I might fall below the standard of what I preach. And I'm, and I'm talking about being open about your failures, not saying I am, you know, presenting information as if you don't fall short of the information you're presenting. I think that's where the hypocrisy comes in. But as some as things that I think as a church we could go back and and think through and how we presented information before, I think sexuality, um, it was brought up, uh, it's been brought up several times and we've talked about it, um, of how, you know, the church used to make people stand up, especially women who were pregnant and repent in front of the church, not maybe necessarily bringing the man and how much damage that did um, to, to people in growing up in the church. Um, telling, when we talk about uh, modesty, sometimes we talk about it in, in a way of making women feel inferior or, or calling them names, uh, specifically, you know, using the term ho or harlot because somebody didn't have on stockings, you know, <laughs> things of that nature. I think you talk about something uh, now. <laughs> uh, could be problematic. Um, using mm -hmm. derogatory language like faggot and sissy from the pulpit. Um, talking about things in ways that can be extremely harmful to people. There's a way to lift up a standard. And then there's a way to to uh, there's a way to lift up the standard of holiness and there's a way to be harsh and cruel to people um, and unkind. And we are always to present the truth in love. So if we're not presenting the truth in love and that doesn't necessarily mean that that's absent of a stern tone, because we look at Paul and the letter he wrote and he said he basically is telling the church at Corinth, I'm glad your feelings were hurt by the letter because it caused you to change. So that means this is the same man who wrote Present the Truth and Love. So that if we hold those things in tension, we see maybe he's not saying it always is specific to tone, but it is a commitment to, to, to stick with you through your struggles and be committed to you. Even though sometimes I have to say harsh things to you, am I committed to your struggle? Am I committed to walking you through this. And I think for the church, many a times we haven't been committed to walking through struggles with people. We want to throw stones at people and kind of walk off without saying, you know what, this is what you're going through. This is something that you're dealing with. I'm going to walk with you through this. Got it. So I wouldn't be me if I didn't bring the, the tense aspect back up. But I know specifically, and I think you, you did answer, but I just want to make sure that people get that you answered in a in a unique way, but that in regard to if a pastor, how do we decide, you know, when someone needs to be sat down? And I think one thing that you did drop that I think we need to take note of is, is there confession or not? Mm -hmm. And there's an absence of confession or acknowledging what was done. That puts us in a different category. We need to address things in a different way. 
But I think there grace can be given when the confession is made. And we know scripture would tell us in James that uh, we confess our sins for healing. So that confession piece is, I think, is going to play a huge part in gauging whether or not or how to move forward if a pastor is caught in a particular situation. And also, I think this is something that has really um, been a guide for me in thinking through this. If a person is more interested in restoring restoring their reputation in front of people uh, versus their reputation in front of God, that's a indicator this person may not need to be. Because with, if people are in a rush to get before people, sometimes that can be telling. If they're in a rush just to get back in the saddle, maybe they are not ready to be in it. Um, but if they really want to make sure that, hey, my heart is right before God, usually they'll take some time and be self-reflective and submit themselves to leadership. If they're willing to submit themselves to leadership and counsel and are repentant and are saying, you know what, I really want to do this thing right, that's a person whose heart is broken before God and really, you know, really somebody who is seems to be fit to lead. But if a person doesn't want to hear counsel um, and kind of is in a rush to get back in the saddle, maybe that's the person that shouldn't be there in the first place. Got it. Well, I think we've had a very lengthy discussion. I'm glad that Jay-Z was able to inspire us to, to deal with some of these, these matters. As, as, as I've said, as, as we all should know that what goes on in culture matters because we are to engage the culture. So I thank you for creating a platform for us to have these conversations and I pray it's been helpful for the listeners. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, you can catch all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com or you can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play by searching the Jew 3 Project. You can also get better equipped with our Bible engagement app by searching the App Store, Google Play or Apple App Store by searching the Jude 3 Project, and that will help you better engage scripture on a daily basis. If you would like to donate to the Jude 3 Project, go to jude3project.com and hit the Donate tab. In addition, you can follow us on in, on social media by searching at Jude 3 Project on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, here at the Jude 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.